So, my dear brothers and sisters and dear friends, we've been embarking on this wonderful journey to walk with Jesus as his disciples. A disciple is a follower of the Master. In our case, the Master is Jesus Christ. And for the far past few months, we've been looking at the life of a disciple. We have to learn who God is. What is he like? And then we looked at man. Why did God made, made, made us? And why did he make us into his image? And what is the purpose of our body, our soul and our spirit? The last time we were together, we looked at Jesus. Who is Jesus? And it is good to know that we follow Jesus Christ, the pre-existing one. That word pre-existing means that there is no start and end date to God. There is no start and end date to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Yes, for Jesus Christ, when he was born on the earth, you can say that he was born on a certain day and then that he died at the cross on a certain day. But that's only in human terms. But as God, there is no beginning or no end. And I believe it is good to serve a God like that and to know this. For we need to know that we serve somebody who's outside of this time. In a realm that we can't even anticipate. Not three dimensions or four dimensions, but dimensions which our little brain can't, can't work out. But we also looked at his incarnation. And to think that this God that we serve came in the form of a person, of a man, and he lived amongst us. And we saw the significance of that, that God reached down from heaven, the Son of God. And when he lived amongst us, he chose for himself the title, the Son of Man, the one who reaches from man to heaven. And today we're going to continue looking at Jesus and we're going to look at three more aspects of him, which no one in the history of the world, notice I've said the history of the world, because that is only the history of the world. No one can lay claim to these things. We're going to look at his life today and then we're going to look at his death and his resurrection. And that makes him special. And it makes me proud and honored to serve a king like that. For he's certainly the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And we know somebody, we need somebody like that in our lives and the day that we're living in. So we're looking at his life. And the first aspect about his life is that we need to accept by faith and by account of witnesses that Jesus did live amongst us. God did come and, and lived amongst us. And we find this in the Bible. Now, John writes in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, the following about it. Remember, this is John, who, who is called the disciple of love. And he writes about Jesus amongst us, the following. 1 John 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. So John said, we've heard his voice physically. John writing these words down, physically heard the Lord speak. He says, whom we've heard, which we have seen with our eyes and which we have looked upon. 
Now, the difference here between those words is, is when we have seen him with our eyes, if you read it in English, it feels as if it's the same than looked upon, because you use your eyes to look upon. But let me explain the difference for you. If he says, which we've seen with our eyes, he means that we literally saw Jesus with our eyes. But when we looked upon him, we actually walked with him and we looked at his mannerisms. We looked how he conduct himself amongst people. And this is the same we do on Sundays as we study through the book of Mark. We look at Jesus. In fact, every Sunday when I preach that message, go through line by line and we learn more about Jesus, we are looking upon him. We, we, you and I, can't see him with your eyes. We can't make the same claim that uh, John is making here when he says that we've seen him with our eyes. Now, I know there's a lot of people who proclaim they've done that. But in the literal sense, when he walked upon the face of the earth, only these men, these writers of the Bible can say that. But you and I, certainly, through the study that we're doing today, through Sunday sermons, we're looking upon him. We see and we understand how he conduct himself. Now he continues and he says, And our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Now you will find it says the word of life capital letter and we know that that is Jesus Christ. Now John says that we've heard him, we've looked upon him, we we looked upon him, we saw him with our eyes, and then we've handled him. So this is a good account of him living with us. God with us. There is no other God who can, who can, who can lay claim of that. There is no follower of any other religion who can claim what I've just said, what John has written here. God with us the word of life let it be known there's only one who can give life and that is the word of life jesus christ verse 2 he continues he says the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you the eternal life which was with the father and was manifested to us again if you want proof about god with us it's right there John says he was with the Father and we saw him manifested amongst us. That which we have seen and which we have declared to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And all these things we have write to you, that your joy may be full. The joy that he gives is a joy that makes you full. It is, a, it is a joy that gives you peace that surpasses your understanding. And this is why he writes this. So he lived amongst us. Now, if we lay claim to that, there's a pattern here. If we lay claim that he lived amongst us, then the next thing we need to say is that he lived in exactly the same circumstances that we lived. He felt exactly the same pain that we felt. I believe he had the same frustrations that we've got. Now, I know, I know Jesus lived back in the day and there wasn't tar roads and there wasn't motor cars and there wasn't Apple iPhones and there wasn't 
uh, uh, McDonald's and all of I know that. But if you strip those things away and the frustrations that comes upon man is exactly the same frustration that came upon him. When he looked upon people and he wept, it's the same that we feel about people. So he was in the same circumstances than us. And we find this again in the Bible, in Hebrews. Listen to what the Hebrews writer write in Hebrews 4, 4 verse 14. He says, seeing then that we have a great high priest, and it's in capital letters here, that great high priest is Jesus Christ. The writing of the book of Hebrews is to contrast Jesus Christ against the, the Old Testament religious system against the priests, against the angels, and that he's the better one. They were the sh shadow and he is the substance. So he says, seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. He has passed through the heavens. In other words, he lived amongst us and then he was ascended on high and he passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. So many times I find myself in a, in, in, in a weakness. So many times I deal with people who come and they, they share with me their weakness. And all I can do is share with you Jesus Christ. Because I'm but mere a man like you. I've got shortcomings like you. I'm by far not perfect. But he, who is your high priest, he can sympathize with our weaknesses because he lived here with us. So when you come to me for help, I'm going to give you Jesus. I'm going to tell you about Jesus and what he would have done and how he experienced exactly the same that you experience. He says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted, tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, that is the key. That is the key. Because I find myself sometimes frustrated, but, but I can't hold myself to the, to the standard that Jesus Christ did, yet without sin. It is important, so important for the writer to put those words in there. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This particular scripture in the Bible is a very important scripture. Because as I said before, it brings the new covenant and he compares it to the Mosaic law, the old covenant. He brings the two together. And he shows us and he tells us that the new covenant is better than the old covenant. Now, the book of Hebrews is the only book in the New Testament who writes about Jesus as the high priest. He's the only one. The other books don't write about this. But Hebrews writes this and he refers to Jesus as the high priest. And the Jews of the day, and even today, the Jews who reject Jesus... They will reject this book. And you, and you might think, why? Why would they reject it? Because Jesus Christ couldn't lay claim, according to them, to be a high priest. Because he was not born from the tribe of Levi, 
the priestly tribe. But this writer here, when he writes, and I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, that's a discussion for another day, but I believe the writer of Hebrews here wants to lay this groundwork here to, to establish to us that he is not from the earthly priesthood, but he's from heaven, the heavenly priesthood, the new covenant. It would be rejected by the, by the priests of the day, by the Jews of the day. But he is our high priest who has gone through heaven. And the scripture verses who says that he's sitting at the right hand of the father. Now, the right hand is the authority hand, is the hand of authority. So our high priest, get this, get this now, our high priest who intercedes for us, who knows us, who's compassionate with us, is sitting at the right hand of the Father, the hand of authority. Because through the Father and through Him flows the authority unto us. The authority flew in the Old Testament through the priesthood unto the people. But now it flows through Jesus Christ unto us. He sits at the right hand of the Father. Now in the Old Testament, this is, this Psalm 110 is, is about, it's the priestly Psalm. And he talks about Jesus. Take for instance Psalm 110.4, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is another great study if you want to do that. Now, it says in verse 5, The Lord is at your right hand, and shall he execute kings in the day of his wrath. So the Old Testament spoke about the future high priest to come. You and I have learned and heard from John tonight that he did come. And they beheld him. They saw him with their eyes, but they also looked upon him as we look upon him today. So the thing about Jesus coming to live with us and to compare it to the old covenant, the Mosaic law, is to understand, and it's important for you and for me, that he was innocent and that he kept that law to the letter, which no one before and after him, even to our day, can do. Now, he stood in front of the Pharisees. And he challenged them. He challenged them with this. Uh, he, uh, in John chapter 8 verse 39. And, and as you know and as we saw in our preaching through on Sundays. The Pharisees are constantly on to him. Constantly. They, they just want him to make a mistake. To say ah gotcha. Gotcha. Now we've got you and uh, you're false. And uh, they could prove him a mere man. Uh, but they couldn't. Because he was always one step ahead of him. No wonder, because he's Emmanuel, God with us. So here now we find this, and it's so beautiful when we see this in John 8 verse 39. He says, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to him, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. I like that, because if you think about that, the work of Abraham was, Abraham was glad to see the day of Christ, the Bible says. They read those words, but they were blinded and they ignored it. And Jesus brings them, he stands face to face with them here when he says this. But now you seek to kill me, a man who told you the truth which I've heard from God. 
Abram did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, God, through Abram, of course. Uh, verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceed forth and came from God. Nor have I come from myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? There is a lot of people even today who do not understand his speech. They say it's too hard and they reject it, just like the Pharisees did. Today, with all of these Bible studies that you have, you can walk now into a bookstore and it's filled from front to back with studies and sermons and everything and as book after book, and I've been to some of these bookstores and people walk out with hands and hands and hands fulls of books. But yet Jesus claims here, he says, you do not understand my speech. It's not how many books you have or how good you studied Pharisees or Sadducees or scribes. It's not head knowledge. You need to understand his speech when he speak. And here he says it back to them because you are not able to listen to my word. That's why they couldn't understand his speech, because they're not able to listen when he speaks. Oh, they say, we hear you. And we find this so many times, don't we? You ask somebody and when you speak and you say, are you listening to me? They say, yes, I hear you. Yes, that's right. They hear you, but they're not listening to you. There is a difference here. And these people were hearing in him, but they did not listen. Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. Wow. Ooh. I love, I love the, the, the boldness of him. He's a man of courage. Know this about the Savior that you serve. He's a man of courage. He says it as it is. He says, your father is the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he lies. He speaks of his own resources for he's a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. And now I come to the scripture verse. Remember, I'm portraying or the writer of Hebrews is portraying him against the old covenant the Mosaic law, the laws, the Ten Commandments, the more. They are portraying him against that. And now he says in his own words to you and me and to them, he says in verse 46, John 8, 46, which of you convict me of sin? Question. Which, who? Of sin. And if I tell the truth, who, who, why do you not believe me? He is of God, he is God's word, therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. This is one of the problems in the world today when people come and they, they say, look, we're giving up on God, we're giving up on the Bible, we're giving up on religion, we lose our faith. It is because they can't hear God's word because they're not of God. They hear it, but they don't listen. But Jesus claims here that there is no, no one came up with a sin against him. They couldn't because he was sinless. He didn't break the laws. He fulfilled the laws. And when, you remember when he was in front of Pilate, when they brought him in front of Pilate, this Gentile, the, the highest authority there from the Romans, and they brought him before him and he asked him questions about the kingdom. And in Luke 20, 23 verse 4, so Pilate said to the chief priest and to the crowd, I find no fault in this man. 
not only declared by himself, but declared by a Gentile. They couldn't find. He asked him straightforward the question, what sin are you convict me of? They couldn't answer him because there was no sin. Know about his life. It's not just a life of an important person where we look at his biography and we say, oh, you know, the good outweighed the bad and he's a good dude and a good bloke and all these things. No, no, he is a step above that. This is the God. This is the Jesus you serve. His life was exemplary. But he didn't walk around, you know, high and mighty and, and you know, kiss the ring type of, of thing or I'm better than you. He humbled himself, the Bible says in Philippians, to take on the form of a bond servant. And again, I refer back to our preaching on Sundays where we see that, that Mark portrays him as the servant leader. He came to serve. What a wonderful Jesus we serve. What a wonderful Lord he is. There's no fault that could be found in his life. So if you think about a perfect life, if you sit here and, and I ask you the question, think about the most person person you know in your life. The most perfect according to you. Because according to them, they might have faults. And according to others who know them more intimately, they might have faults. But if you can pick one person out that you say, gee, that person, Jesus outshines that. There is no fault that they could find in his life. That makes him worthy to be my king. That is my Lord. Now let's step over then to his death. And uh, we look at his death. And one thing about his death is, it is the most talked about death in the history of the world. In the history is the death of Jesus Christ. Back in his day, every, if there were newspapers, every newspaper would have had it on the front page. If there were newscasts and cameras and everything, everybody would have been tuned into this. Because he became enemy number one to his own people. And because they were so afraid of the uproar of the Romans, he became an enemy to them as well. And he hung in the middle of that cross. Who would forget the day when they had Barabbas there, the, the vilest sinner, and, 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 and um, they said to the crowd, who do you want to let go, this innocent man or this vile, this vile criminal, cr cr criminal? And they said to the criminal, let Barabbas go, and, but this innocent man. And you know what? That is exactly the same the world's turned out to be today. That is the left-wing agenda. You let the, the criminal go, the murderer, the, the rapist, the pedophile. You let them go, but you pursue the innocent. I rest my case. He's our high priest. So if they do come and they take you, the innocent, and it frustrates you and you're hurt by that, know this, they took him before you. You are not better than him, and I'm not better than him. But this is the most talked about death. He's the only one who died for the sin of the world. The only one. No one can lay claim for that. And I can name the religions up now one by one by one and, and their prophets and all of these great men of them. Not one single one of them gave their life for their followers. And in this case for the world. I love this one song that I hear. It says, his life for mine. 
Think about that. His life for mine. His heart was broken. Mine was mended. He became sin. Now I am clean. This only happened on the cross when he hung there for a brief moment. The cross he carried bore my burden. The nails that nailed him set me free. His life for mine. What a saviour. What a death. That death is a very significant death. It's not just any other death. It's not a death that could have just happened in history and been overglanced and continue on. For you and for me, that becomes the critical part of our faith, of our belief system. If you think about it in Romans chapter 3.23, and I'm just picking out a few verses here. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The reason why God chose a nation in the Old Testament is to show the world how a sinful people can approach a holy God and the dealings that he had with that nation as they, as they obeyed him and as they disobeyed him, how he punished them. That was a show. The Old Testament, the whole Old Testament is for you and for me as an example how we as a sinful people can approach a holy God. For all have sinned. That's you, that's me. We were sinned and we were born through the sin that happened in the Garden of Eden. And that put a massive burden upon our shoulders. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And how can we obtain the glory of God? How can we come to the glory of God? What is, what is the in-between to us and the glory of God? That's a question that you need to ask and that you need to answer. You need to answer that question in your lifetime. When you were born as a small baby and you grew up in your parents' home and you grew up to become independent, the only one question that you need to answer in this world, the only one, is how can I, a sinner, approach a holy God? And I've got good news for you. The answer is Jesus Christ. Because we find so many scriptures again, but in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, we find a very, very significant answer to that question that you need to answer for yourself. It says in there, and he himself, this is Jesus Christ, is the propitiation for our sin. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now be careful, be careful right here. A red alert. When he says the whole world, it doesn't mean the whole world automatically gets saved. He died for the world. Yes, but you can't continue on in your sinful life. You need to answer that question. You need to get the answer of how do I, a sinner, come to God? And this is the answer. He came to be a proposition for us. For the, for the whole world, that whoever, whoever comes to Him will be saved. You see, the word here, proposition, is, is, is the word expiator. Expiator, and that means to make a penance or an atonement. And when He says in this verse, He Himself is our atonement, at one moment. It made us one with God. That's what this means. He's for our sins that he's did that he he had to we talk about his death here and how important this is the death of Christ 
became that barrier between us and God. How can I approach holy God through Christ? He said it himself, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That is how we get to the Father, to God. Through him as the appropriation. The expiator of our sins. Second Corinthians chapter 5.21, Paul writes this down to the church. He says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. This is what, what, what he writes. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. So what did he do? He, this is God, made him who, Jesus, who knew no sin. Pilate, I find no fault in him. Hey, you, you Pharisees, you scribes, tell me what sin I'm conducting in. Silence, crickets. Bring anyone out. There's no one. And he says it here. He made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sins for us. He took the handwritten account against us with him to the cross. Why? What is the reason? What is the outcome? Finish the verse. He says, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What he did, the reason why God made him a sin for us, so that we become righteous. The word righteousness there means to live a life acceptable to God. This is a call to service. God did all of that. Jesus went to the cross so that we might be saved. You repent of your sin. You acknowledge you're a sinner. How dirty and filthy your sins is. And, and uh, you come to God and He forgives you your sin. All of that happened for one thing is a call to service. It's a call of self-denial. It's a call to holiness because we are serving a holy God. You see, Christianity only begins when we trust in God. That's when it begins, but that's not when it stops. Now starts this life of righteousness. This is the death of Christ. And let me just say at this point, I mean, I spoke about his pre-existence. I spoke about his incarnation when he came and lived in the body of a man. I spoke about his life. Each one of these I can preach a whole sermon on. And not only, I can take each one of these as separate topics and preach a whole series on them. A whole year on them. That's how deep, how wide and how high it is. So just for time's sake and for study's sake, I'm just brushing over this, but I implore you to take each one of these, these topics and delve into them so that you can listen to him and not just hear him. And here we see that he makes us that. Belief is only the first step in your long journey, in your long journey with him. So we've looked at his life and now we've looked at his, uh, his death. And then comes the very, very exciting part. Let me talk now about his resurrection. Again, there is no one who can lay claim to this. Well, somebody might say, what about Lazarus? What about the daughter of Jairus who was raised from the dead? What about the, 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 the dead man in the Old Testament when Eliza fell into the grave and he came? What about them? Oh, look, I can tell you they were resuscitated. They were not res resurrected. What do you mean? Well, if somebody dies and you resuscitate them, you bring them back to life. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but he died and he was resurrected. 
There was no way that you could you resuscitate him when he came off the cross. There's no way. When they took him off the cross to put him in the tomb and you start doing resuscitation work on him, you start doing mouth to mouth and start pumping his heart. You couldn't do that. The blood came out. He was dead. There was no way that Jesus Christ could have been resuscitated from that state. Which makes it really more exciting and, and interesting. He was resurrected. No one can lay claim of that. You see, this is the most important fact to the child of God, what I'm telling you right now. And there, for decades, there has been these people who try to make this a sham. But yet it is so undeniable. The Romans were the most uh, uh, powerful force on the planet when Jesus died. The lead of their guard guarded the tomb. The soldiers who were standing around the tomb, when they came and they put the signet, what they would do is they put a rope around the big stone that was in front of the cave and they had wax there and they took the, the ring, the signet of Pilate and put it right into that. With that signet come all of the authority of the Caesar. It is as if the Caesar himself put that in and that becomes the lock for that. Nobody's allowed in. Not only did they do that. So, so here's the thing. If you break the seal without the authority of the man who put his signature in there, then you'd be killed. That is how serious it is. So, so they could just do that. And go away and somebody breaks the seal, they catch the man, they kill him. No, no. What they did more is they brought the elite guard to guard this tomb because they were so afraid, the Romans, of an uproar, an uprising from the Jews. And, and it would be a bad, you know, upon them, a bad mark against them. So they put the elite guard to guard the tomb. These soldiers were there. And this is how dedicated these soldiers were. If they were caught sleeping or if somebody would have come and break that, that seal, they'd be put to death. So this was a matter of death and life to these soldiers. It was well guarded. There's no other ways into the tomb. There's only one way into the tomb. And they put a massive stone in front of it. So one person couldn't roll the stone away. You had to break the seal, you die. You had to fight off the soldiers to get through that. But here is the great news, brothers and sisters. The next day, when Mary came there, the tombstone was rolled away. Hallelujah! How did it happen? Well, it goes on to say there were angels around. What is hard for man to do is easy for angels to do. But you see, this is the significance of this. He was not resuscitated from death. He was resurrected. No human hand touched him to be resurrected. He was resurrected through the Holy Spirit. He was brought up from the grave. You say, why is this important? Well, there have to be, or there have been great men before Jesus Christ. Who, before him and after him, who walked on the face of the earth, and they all died. But if you go to the graves and you start digging through the, the ground there, and you start testing the ground there, you will certainly find the DNA of these men still there. But of my Lord, you will not find any DNA there. That's important. That's proof that Jesus was risen from the dead. Why is it important? 
Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 17. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. Underline this verse. If somebody comes and take you on about the resurrection, bring this verse back to them. There is in the Christian church today factions within the church who wants to deny the, Christ, the resurrection of Christ. If you deny the resurrection of Christ, listen to me very carefully. If you deny the resurrection of Christ, then your faith is futile. You are wasting your time. You are part of a club and you are just doing business. No, no. When, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, the church, he says, and if Christ is not risen, if the stone wasn't rolled away, if he wasn't raised up from the grave, then your faith is futile. It's nullified. It means nothing. You are still in your sins. So you have to believe that Christ is risen from the grave. Can you see why I get excited about him and why I say we're serving a risen Christ? Because my faith is not futile. There is substance to my faith. So why is it important that he was resurrected? So that he can came, so that he could come and give us our great commission. He gave the great commission after the resurrection. I don't know if you've noticed. Because all power was given to him, and he could give all power now to them who he wanted to send out. Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them after he was resurrected. And saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He had the big victory. When Satan thought that he had the victory at the cross, there you go. The victory which goes back right to Genesis chapter 3. When he says that um, you will bear a son and, and he will bite your knee and you will crush his head. Satan, Satan from there on was looking out for the Messiah. He wanted to destroy the Messiah. Read, read your, your Bible in Revelation. He says that when the virgin bore a child, that he came like a flood trying to destroy and devour the child. But the earth opened up and the flood. But you see, this is the thing. He came and all authority was given to him. He had the biggest victory on the cross. The cross was not a defeat. The death on the cross was not a defeat. The victory came. He's risen. And then he could come and say, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of age. Now, just quickly before we end, look at the words there in verse 20. He says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of age. That means that he's tonight with you. He's with me. And somebody who else who held on to this very dearly was again our apostle, our beloved apostle Paul. Because we find when he speaks to Timothy, he writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.17. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Those are encouraging words. And I want to encourage you tonight as I close up and finish with these words. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. He said to the disciples in the Great Commission, he said, Lo, I'm with you all to the end of the... And he says, here Paul comes and he says, I took that. You see, he didn't just hear those things. He listened. And then he applied it to his life. And he lived by that. So that the message might be preached fully through me. 
I sent you out to go make disciples, baptize them, and lo, I will be with you till the end of the, the age. And here he says, he stood with me. He strengthened me for what? So that the message be preached through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I delivered the mouth. Uh, also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So there you have it. Who is Jesus? We looked at his pre-existence, uh, his incarnation, his life, his death and his resurrection. That's the complete package. Why would you want to serve somebody else? Why would you want to fall for the lie? Why would you want to follow a set of rules? Why don't you come to him and rest in him? your Lord and your Savior, the complete man, God with us, Emmanuel. May the Lord bless you. Now we're going to continue now and now it's going to become a little bit more serious because next we're going to look into sin. What is sin? What is the original sin? And how do we conduct in that? And what is the answer to sin? And uh, then we're going to continue on this. May the Lord bless you this week and I look forward to see you on Sunday. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word again. Thank you that we've learned more about Jesus, the resurrected Christ. And thank you, Lord, that as we learn more about him, you building our faith. I pray for my dear listeners, Father, my brothers, my sisters. And Lord, I pray that you will bless them and that you will keep them and that you will strengthen them, Father. And as it says by Paul when he spoke to Timothy, when he says, the Lord stood with me. Thank you, Father, that you're standing with us. You gave us your word and your promise. You are our rock and your salvation. And then he said to Timothy, and he strengthened me. Father, we are praying for your strengthening. We're praying for that in this world. And Father, we thank you that you are. You're, you are always coming through on your promise, Father. It's yea and amen. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.